The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here today. I am here today. The show today presented by my good friends at MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my code KevinDC, and they will match your first deposit halfway up to 1000 bucks. What does that mean? Uh, you deposit $1,000, they are going to give you an extra 500 to gamble with. Deposit $500, they will give you an extra $250 to gamble with. Deposit $100, and they will give you an extra, Tommy? Oh, boy. I don't know. $50 to wager with. They'll match your you deposit sure about all this? halfway up to $1,000. <laughs> the thing I love about my bookie is they've got very fair odds. Um, you can compare them to any other sites. They have so many different prop bets and futures bets, especially with the sports we care about, or a lot of the sports we care about, the NFL uh, in particular. The latest division odds are narrowing on my bookie. The Cowboys are plus 130 to win the NFC East. Washington is now just plus 180 to win the division. The Giants at plus 350, the Eagles at plus 600 to win the division. So Washington really narrowing the gap, uh, at least on some betting sites, when it comes to the future NFC East odds. But use my bonus code, Kevin DC, uh, and you can bet and you can get your deposit matched halfway up to a thousand bucks. They've got an online casino with plenty of, of ways to play blackjack and craps and, um, and lots of other things. Uh, we've got a lot to get to because there's actually some, I, I would call it breaking news this morning related to the Washington football team. And I think we should start with this, Tommy. Um, Tanya Snyder, the wife of Dan Snyder, has been named co-CEO of the Washington football team. The Wall Street Journal had it first. I'm not going to sit here and slap myself on my own back, but I am going to recall a conversation in which you very much thought I was reaching for straws that I was, you know, uh, taking a big leap of faith that Tanya Snyder was going to become a more significant presence in this organization 
when I observed Jason Wright's hiring and Jason Wright's comments after he was hired as team president, where he mentioned Tanya more than anybody had ever mentioned Tanya and had mentioned her as much, if not more, than Dan. And I made that observation and I said, they are really trying to push Tanya out there. She's going to have more of a role in the organization. And she was named co-CEO this morning, according to the Wall Street Journal. Now, what does that mean? We can discuss that in terms of what that means. In terms of the organizational chart, just understand that Dan is still the chairman of the board. He is still the single largest shareholder and the majority shareholder of stock and voting stock in the organization. Um, But in terms of CEO, he is half of a CEO and she is the other half. And then you get, you know, Ron Rivera and Jason Wright on the next line of the organizational chart. And then you get Herney and 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 Mayhew and everybody else. Um, what does this announcement mean to you? To me, it's the most insignificant thing in the whole story. Okay, I didn't read You're the story. Right. I did not read the story, by the way, okay. yet. Because well, it just broke. Here's a quote. Here's a quote from this chicken shit story that's in the Wall Street Journal. What did you just refer to it as? Chicken shit. Chicken shit. Okay, I'm sorry. You you, yes. you got a little muffled there. Chicken shit. Let's so, make sure your phone is going to be shit. okay. Okay. You got it. Here's one quote about the change. Before all that could change, Dan Snyder acknowledges that he had to change himself and become more deeply involved than in the past oh when he was often distant from the management of the franchise. That's in, that's in the story with no response or pushback. The writer wrote that sto- that sentence. Right. The uh, Wall Street Journal, Andrew Beaton, was the writer of this story. Which oh, I, my God. Yeah. I mean, you know, just take your knee pads off for five minutes and acknowledge that this is a conflict compared to all the reports that have happened for the past 20 years. Then what they do, and I don't have the rest of it in front of me, because uh, I was able to read it this morning. Now I'm locked out of it, and I'll be damned if I'm going to buy a subscription to the Wall Street well, Journal. I, I have one. Uh, well, that's good. You should read the whole thing. Because I'm going they document to. I, the I, days. Yeah. They document the days that Snyder has been in the building. They actually say he's only been in the building like 229 days in the past 10 years. Oh. First of all, what relevance is that to anything? You you don't need to be in the building to, to do the damage. It's just it's pathetic. This this article. This is how you get an interview with Dan Snyder. Okay, this article. Look, you are absolutely one hundred percent right on Tanya Snyder, and that is significant in their in their strategy to dig themselves out of this hole. It's very huge, but. I can't get over the crap that's in this story. It's, it's. I'm telling you, I, I don't think the Red, the Washington PR department could have written a better story. This is pathetic. There's no pushback on anything. Well, remember, part of Rock Nation's involvement in this organization, I was told, and remember I mentioned this, whatever it was, a month, two months ago when the Jay-Z news um, came out, um, is that they have steered clear of the Washington Post and they have allowed the New York Times and Wall Street Journal to handle 
the big stories on the organization. The Wall Street Journal clearly is a more conservative newspaper. I find their news division to be very objective and and very centrist, middle of the road. I think their op-ed section definitely leans conservative. I think that's the way most people would view the journal. Um, But they have steered clear of the Washington Post, where, by the way, a lot of these questions that you would prefer have been asked with answers would have been asked. Well, you can't let that slide, Kevin. You can't write, you know, that he needs to be more deeply involved in the past. You have to write, at the very least, this, con- this, this is a conflict to the various reports of his drafting uh, number one quarterbacks and hiring, uh, you know, after 12-hour interviews with, with, with coaches. And just, you know, the whining and the dining, this is just... This is an embarrassment. The Wall Street Journal, I, I guess, you know, I don't know what their, what their editorial makeup is, but this story is an embarrassment. I would have taken, if I'm Andrew, what's his name? Andrew Be- Andrew Beaton. I'm going to try to get him on the radio he show. His, yeah. He should take his byline off the story. Um, it's an embarrassment to him. So there are a couple of things that um, since the um, Happy Thanksgiving introduction of Ron Rivera, which followed the dispatching of Bruce Allen, on a day in which Dan Snyder was terribly nervous, obviously, um, where he um, made it very clear that it was all Bruce's fault. Once again, um, this is a story that is suggesting um, from his perspective that all that has happened was the fault of Bruce Allen and other Bruce Allen and others, not him. Now, let me mention something that I've mentioned many times over the last 10 years. His presence in the building over the last decade and his true detailed day-to-day granular involvement in the football operation is less than what it was in the first 10 years. It was. By every single person's account that sort of had experience with the Vinnie Dan days and then the Bruce Bruce Dan days, Dan was less involved in and a lot of the stuff that he uh, previously was intimately involved in. And it's true that he spent much more time, not just away from the building over the last 10 years, but out of the country for the last 10 years. Um, so those things I have learned over the years, I think are true statements. Now, for him to sort of absolve himself from all that's happened in recent years, as if somebody else was making all the decisions, is disingenuous at the very least. And it's clearly an attempt to sort of make himself look good um, and uh, make himself look detached. And he wasn't. We know, we absolutely know, that he drafted Dwayne Haskins on that fateful April night in 2019. That was him. That was him saying, I don't care what your board says. I don't care what you're trying to sell me. Let me sell you or let me tell you why taking Dwayne Haskins makes the most sense. Terribly damaging. A first-round pick overall. I mean, that is a... I mean, there's there's, there's countless examples. He interviewed defensive coordinators... While the defensive coordinator who was still there... He was involved in in the the interviews. He was, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, 
I mean, like, that, while that's, Greg, that's a while Greg that's Minuski, an coach. Yeah. Right. I mean, and you would think that the head coach would be the guy to be able to decide who his defensive coordinator is, but that's never been the case here in Washington. Give me, so, give me I mean, other examples because because the biggest example, the biggest example of the damage that he did during this, let's just call it era of less involvement, was his relationship with Robert Griffin III. It was terribly yes. damaging to the organization. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely, a hundred percent. Look, I understand why Dan Snyder wants to create, wants to present this image. You know, I get that. Right. I don't. What I don't get is when, when somebody, when you write a story and somebody says something like that, you have to have the research backed up in case it says, well, he may have said this, but this is the truth. This is the reality. This is the other side. There's no other side in this. It's a PR puff piece. So it's do embarrassing. You, so do you think this is one of those puff pieces where he got the list of questions before? I don't know about that. Because how I don't know if he did or not. Because if presented, if this writer had been, you know, let's just say well researched and it said, Well, sir, um, Dan, uh, what about the discussion, the stories, the reports? that you trumped your football people on draft night 2019? What about the reports that you sided with your 23-year-old quarterback over a head coaching, uh, a head coach and a staff that has produced four, four NFL head coaches? Um, what, what about those stories? It would have been great just to get the, his answer. I wonder if he was allowed to ask that those questions uh, but maybe it, it's, it's it's a suggestion it's what you s- suggested and that is maybe he wasn't prepared well enough for it well i know i think I, I, you can't be that you have to fall onto the planet to be a reporter and not have some kind of context of dan snyder's history uh so uh and i don't know if it was in person i think it was in person because i think they describe it sitting in his office or sitting in a New York office or something like that, if I recall the story. I could be wrong about that, okay? But, uh, I mean, you, you just, you've, you've got to respond to it in the story. You may not be able to, may, Snyder may not answer the question, but you have more than enough evidence to say, but this, this, and this, and then let the reader decide what the truth is. I mean, I just, I just, it's, it's. I hate. I mean, I don't. Hate let me. Let me. I mean, let I, me read from you as I've opened up the story. Let me just read uh, one. One. One line here. It was in October of 2019, months before the team was drowning in controversy, when Snyder says the first wake-up call came. Over and over, he heard a clip from a press conference held by then-team president Bruce Allen, in which Allen was asked what he thought of the team's culture, and Allen described it as damn good. We all remember that moment. Um, I said that, uh, by the way, as an add-on. The team was 0-5 and had just fired its head coach. Snyder loved the question because he disagreed with the answer. At that very moment, it triggered us to say, we've got to fix our culture. Closed quote, Snyder says. (laughs) Uh, He doesn't need a house to fall on him. He needs a whole neighborhood to fall on him, apparently before he realizes, hey, maybe we should change the culture. 
it's it's a joke. You you've got it's a joke. you've got and, me, and, and you're, you've got me you're fired one, up. Yeah. You're one you're one incident away from all this totally self destructing all over again. It's a fragile build up, PR build up. It's working so far. You know, but it's it's very fragile. Let, let me just so let me just as I'm just sitting here reading from this. So a couple of big takeaways. Number one, yours. Okay, um, bad job by the reporter. Uh, terrible job. Um, not to be well prepared. I don't know what the parameters of this interview were, or what the you know the guidelines were to get this interview. Um, but uh, there is no pushback um, here. Secondly. Um, it is what I've said for years now. Um, there is a level of detachment from reality with this owner that astounds me. Um, and I do think sometimes it's very much a detachment from reality. I, I think he just doesn't understand um, what his fan base, the significant majority of his fan base, has thought about his team, not just recently, but for a long time period of time. Number three, it's never, ever his fault. Ever. This is, you know, this is, by the way, a hallmark of a narcissist. It's always somebody else. And this has been a go-to for Dan Snyder for years. It was Norv's fault. It was Marty's fault. It was Zorn's fault. It was Vinny's fault. It was Mike's fault. It was Bruce's fault. It's never been his fault. And lastly, the notion that somehow he believes that pushing this narrative that he hasn't been involved enough and that somehow getting involved more will be well-received by his fan base? How clueless can you be, dude? They want you gone. They don't want you anywhere near this team. They were begging, begging over the last year for somebody to have the smoking gun on you so that you were forced to sell the team. Nobody believes that this isn't your fault, except for Ivan, my caller from Florida now, where he's living in a state where he's much more comfortable. Um, I, it's, it's, you know, to, to, to say things like, you know, we've made mistakes, to talk about the way, uh, what he's talking about as in, I wasn't close enough. That's why things turn badly. I am going to get more involved. And by the way, my wife's going to help me. And let me just say this. I don't know Dan. I don't know Tanya. A lot of you believe that those of us that have worked for the radio station for years owned by Red Zebra, which Dan Snyder was the principal and majority shareholder and investor in, somehow knew these people. They were very, Tommy will tell you, they just were hands off. Uh, until the very end when they got hands-on, but it wasn't Dan who was hands-on. It was others in the organization, and they really, really messed it up um, in a big way. But we're not well, going gonna... like, to... Like I've told people before, uh, I've never met Dan Snyder. Um, you were with me a couple times at Super Bowls no, where he stopped I've, by and said, no. oh, you were gone at that no. point. Yeah, because you once our okay. show ended, Tommy was out of there, man. He had... He, he, <laughs> He, our show was over in studio, and our show ran from 12 to 2. 202, you couldn't find him. Actually, that's not true. He would bury himself in his shrine of an offense, office built uh, for himself. The only time I've ever met him and had even the brief.
briefest of conversations were at Super Bowls on Radio Row. He never set foot into the radio station when any of us were there. The only relationships he had were with some of the former players, like Doc and Cooley, um, in terms of the people that worked at the radio station. You know, very early in the days when he was more accessible from a media standpoint, Bram, who was our Redskins beat reporter at the station, uh, got to interview him probably more than anybody else other than Doc over the years. Uh, But anyway, what I was going to say is, I don't know him. I don't know her. We obviously know people who know them and have worked with them. And the big takeaway would be, he is unpleasant and she's very pleasant. (laughs) So putting her out more front and center, by the way, you know, a, a huge, huge... Um, uh, a bonus and pioneer, if you will, of breast cancer awareness and it's uh, and the NFL's involvement of that awareness is Tanya Snyder driven. Um, and so having her more of sort of along with Jason Wright and Ron Rivera out front and center, Um, is much better. But let's be honest, one of the true statements about him and his lack of involvement would be if he had gone a step further and said, I've been very reclusive from media because he has been. We just don't hear from Dan Snyder. This, This story right now probably has more Dan Snyder quotes in it than anything we've had in a long period of time. Long period of time. Well, now, now we know what it takes to get that kind of access, don't we? Yes, we do. But we've heard this before, Tommy. We've heard this before, that they are, they're only willing to do this if there are sort of parameters around it, if there's some level of control. But the idea, this is where, again, it just, over the years, like those of us at the radio station and other media people, like a lot of us have had these conversations where if they would only involve us instead of the some of the, the dummies they've had in helping them navigate this from a PR standpoint, they'd be much better off. Like this is terrible advice to have Dan go out there and try to bullshit people into the reason our culture went bad is because I removed myself. Now I have to insert myself again. I mean, nobody wants to hear that he's going to be involved. And nobody believes that he wasn't involved. We've already given you two or three prime examples of reported on, solidly reported on, he made decisions that damaged the franchise. He's the problem. He's never looked in the mirror and acknowledged it's him. It's not all of these other people. Uh, which leads to this, um, this organization since last July in that very first Washington post story has become Tommy. I I don't know this definitively. Like I've got the data to support it. It's very much observational. It's become the most progressive organization in the NFL and it's hiring. It's hired. I think that's fair anecdotally. I think you're right. Anecdotally. And you were you talked about that early on in the process, the road that they were they were going down. Yes, I, I had this sense early on that they were going to really try to become 
a very diverse organization to sort of counter. By the way, I'm not suggesting that any of these hires weren't based on resume, too. But w- come on, we're living in in a world in which we can make observations and not, you know, I can't stand the people that say, you know, stop being so observational. Well, life's boring if you're not observing. Um, we, we can see that many women and many minorities have been hired to key positions in the organization, much more so than before, much more so anecdotally than, than other NFL teams. I think that this was always going to be the push coming off the Washington Post stories. Um, and I also really believe that the quid pro quo on lowering or waiving the debt limit, then loaning him money, as you reported, I think before anybody else, to buy out Fred Smith, Bob Rothman, and Dwight Schar. I believe that the, um, the agreement here is that there will be a 30 to 40% minority owner within the next year or so made up of minorities. And that the league wants more diversification in its more diversity in its ownership and that Dan's going to provide it. And the reason he's going to provide it is the trouble the organization's gotten into and oh by the way if you don't want us to go down the path of trying to remove you. Um, that's what I think is coming next. By the way, just to be clear, I am not in any way suggesting that the hiring of Ron Rivera and Jason Wright and Martin Mayhew and Julie Donaldson and et cetera, et cetera, the CFO, that these aren't all people totally qualified for the jobs. I'm just saying that clearly there's been an emphasis since last July to hire a more diverse executive team. Well, let's face it. His track record up until, except for the brief moment where he hired the La Famina team, his track record pretty much, for the most part, has hiring people who aren't qualified to do the job. That's right. So, so, so this, it was, this was a breath of fresh air. Yeah. At least, you know? Yeah. No, that's, that's a really good point. Um, and by the way, you know, the truth is over the years, you know, they haven't been, um, they, it's not that they haven't been a progressive organization in their hiring. It's just increased exponentially over the last year. Um, now let me ask you one, one thing you got the story in front of you. Could, can you scroll down to the bottom of it? Yeah. If you could, cause there's a reference there that uh, is still ringing in my head about, that I, I thought was problematic about buying out the limited partners. Uh, hold on. Tanya is the most important and figure it, in the organization. has only become more true over the last 18 months as her involvement has deepened. It's, Publicly, many know Tanya it, for... Um, it's really the last two paragraphs, I think, of the whole story. Yeah, I don't see anything about the ownership. I don't know what you're oh, okay. referring to. Okay. Hold on. Because there's a reference there that indicates all the problems that Snyder had were because of his limited partners. And now that he's bought them out, there won't be any problems anymore. As if Fred Smith and company were the cause of all this. Tommy, I don't see that. Okay. 
All right, don't worry. Uh, Let's move on to something else. Okay. Um, Why don't I see this? By the way, are you going to write a column on this? You have to, right? I think I do, don't I? Absolutely. You do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to write a column about it. Yeah, and, I, and I'm just looking through also various responses to this, and, and a lot of people sort of have, look, you, you've, got, you've got to understand the history here. You know, if you're an outsider and you're like, okay, his wife is co-CEO, you know, okay, well, whatever, and they be, be, they're really a progressive hiring organization, and, you know, but... Wow. Um, yeah. All right. You know, what, I, what about what about the idea? Let's just touch this uh, that of Tanya now being uh, what is she co CEO or CEO or co CEO? Okay. Do you think that they're getting ready for the possibility that Dan has to step aside for a little while? I don't. But I'm not. Okay. Uh, but I don't know anything. I I don't think that that would have been. Um, I don't. Th- when you say step aside, you mean in terms of like a punishment, like a, a suspension? Yeah. The, oh, term, uh, yes. Yeah. I think that that's definitely in play. I'm sorry, I didn't understand. Okay, that's what, what you're I saying. meant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That he may be out of the picture for a brief period. Yeah, but I don't even know what as that a, means when it comes to an owner. What does that even mean? You know, it's like the. I don't know. It's like a manager down. getting kicked. It's like a manager getting kicked out of a baseball game. He still gets to manage, but he has to do it from his office. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, I mean, as it long seems, as they have text messages. Right. I mean, I, I don't know how you keep him from what he can't sit in his box during games. Okay. But <clears> it is curious that. Uh, they do- they supposedly documented the days he's in the off he's been in the building. Wow, I find that very curious. You know who would know that? BJ, the the receptionist. Why don't we ask? Oh, that's right, she got fired. Um, you know, I've thought about recently. This was a conversation I don't know a couple of weeks ago with somebody who could write the book. There's some people that are out there, and I don't know if they're quiet because they're getting paid to be quiet for a while, Um, but there are some people out there that could write a pretty good book about the last 20 years. Oh, yeah. Right? And she would be one of them. Uh, She would be, but there are people with much more access. I'm talking about the people that traveled with them. You know, I know those would. Oh, be, I know that. Yeah, yeah, those would be the yeah. ones. Um, okay, uh, we've got to get to Qu- Kyle Schwarber. We've got to get to the Nats. We've got to get to yes, the soccer from yesterday uh, and more. All coming up after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're going to get to the baseball. We're going to get to the basketball. We're going to get to the soccer um, on the show today. Uh During the break, Tommy asked me to cut and paste the Wall Street Journal story and send it to him. And I did notice, you know, because I was reading it while we were doing this segment, my fault, it's a story that ends very abruptly, Tommy. It's weirdly written at the end. And the the paragraph that you were looking for, and I sent it, I sent just sent you the whole thing via email. Um, There's a paragraph that says, and it's a two-sentence paragraph, In addition, Snyder took one step that makes it clear that going forward, there is no one else to blame if things go wrong. He he settled his protracted dispute with his limited partners by buying them out. That's the end of the story. There's nothing else after it. And And I guess I just figured there was more after it. It's a weird... Weirdly written end of the story, but whatever. Um, there it is. And your point is, it's another thing where Snyder tried to make it clear that, hey, now that I've gotten rid of uh, the one of the greatest entrepreneurs of all time, Fred Smith, uh, Bob yeah. Rothman and Dwight Char, we're all good now. I got rid of those heathens. Um, yeah. those, that, that was the problem. <laughs> Again, it's never him. I know I've said this a million times, and I know it'll never happen, but people can accept mistakes if you um, throw yourself on the mercy of the court. If you say, you know what, I am 55 years old or whatever he is, Um, it's been me. I've been a terrible owner. And I have been way too involved, and then I haven't been involved, and then even when I wasn't involved, I got involved enough to screw things up. It's been me. I've tried to blame everybody else, but the one constant over the last 21 years is me. I take full responsibility and accountability, and I'm going to try to be better. And I will be. Boom. I don't think people will forgive him. And I don't think people will be, believe him. But he's never taken that step. And you can't take that step unless you actually believe it to be true. And he, well, I guess you can. But he doesn't even believe, he doesn't believe it. Like, he thinks it's a joke to put it on him. Because remember, Tommy, how, for how many years have we heard, even from the few supporters that he has, all he wants to do is win and he'll That's spend it. whatever it is. Win. Yeah. <clears throat> except he doesn't know how to go about winning. And the first step in going um, uh, about winning would be to remove himself completely from the organization's football um, uh, side, period, forever. Instead, he's going to do the opposite. Apparently. Okay. Um, what he said. You know, just one thing. When you think about it, if all he wants to do is win, 
that makes him the biggest loser in the history of sports. Because if his prime motivation is winning... He hasn't accomplished it. He's so bad at it. Yeah, but a lot of people um, have in this sport. But he's terrible at it. We've never heard that as, as an excuse for people's behavior so much as we do with this guy. All he wants to do is win. It's supposed to absolve him of everything. Yeah. You know, I know, I don't know for, for a fact, but my sense of it of this is that he has been really good at a couple of things in his life. He's been a really good salesman. Like, and Tommy, people who are really good at selling and then people who combine really good sales talent and ability, the ability to convince, the ability to persuade, with a fearlessness, which I also think he probably has had his entire life, and the willingness to take big risks, um, believing in himself, those have been his strengths. Uh, that's my guess from afar, that he has been a relentless, hardworking, hard-charging, fearless salesman. And that's what built that first business that's what led him to be completely oblivious to the names and the caliber of, of people that he was approaching to invest in his businesses early on. And he got lucky to a certain degree with that business because it may have been a bit of a house of cards business, but he sold it in advance of anybody identifying it as a house of cards business. And I've known a lot of people um, uh, over the course of time that have been involved in businesses. If you want to go back to the 90s consolidation roll-up plays, several of which were, uh, you know, happened in this particular market. Um, look at Jonathan Ledecky and some of the things he did with roll-ups in the 90s. Um, huge successes for him personally, not so much for uh, later investors or acquirers um, or those that got acquired. Um, lots of those stories over the years, and his timing was perfect. And that first business gave him an unbelievable payday, which allowed him to buy in to something that never goes down. It only goes up, and that is the NFL. No matter how incompetent you are as a manager or as an owner or as an operator, it, you can't fail in the NFL financially because you're part of 32, and you're part of 32 that have um, you know, uh, basically etched a spot in, in the American psyche that advertisers continue to pay more and more every single year because people can't live without it. And so the value of that franchise has gone up. I mean, who knew that $800 million would turn into $4 billion plus? Um, you know, whatever Forbes has it at whatever it has it at, $3 billion or two or whatever. Um, but if he sold it, it would be for $4 billion plus. But every other business, Tommy, that he's touched has not worked out. No. No, no, it hasn't. From Johnny Rockets to Six Flags. Uh, I don't know how his investment in Dick Clark Productions. Remember, he owned Dick Clark Productions yeah, for a while. Right. And I don't know how that turned out, but eventually he, he unloaded that. Radio stations? <laughs> yes, we know that one. Yeah, uh, he's sort of overpaid for some shitty signals, um, like by 30-fold. 
um, which uh, which was the big mistake. Um, sports radio actually, as a business for many years, was a good business, a profitable business, but they had paid so much for the original stations that they purchased, Red Zebra did, that they would have had to have 50 years of home run after home run year to pay for how much they overpaid um, for the stations to begin with. Um, he was a bit of a mark on on those stations when he bought them. I mean, it was it's still amazing. Remember the three shitty signals that Red Zebra bought that launched Triple X ESPN Radio. I was a part of it. Um, you know, as the one of the first, you know, Bram and I were the fir- and Rigo were the first three employees hired to be on the air, and they paid a sum of money exceeding fifty-five million dollars, I believe, for three stations that you could barely hear. Um, they were probably worth maybe an aggregate six million dollars, um, and are worth probably an aggregate today not even a million dollars. Um, but anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, all right. The the, Kyle Schwarber, this is getting ridiculous. Why is he having the year that he's having? Is there any explanation for this record setting stretch that he's on 15 home runs in 17 games, the most ever for a leadoff hitter and only bonds and Sosa can match it. I mean, I have no explanation, uh, but, uh, I mean, I just keep thinking uh, to the, the credit for this goes to Dave Martinez and Mike Rizzo. I mean, because they got Kyle Schwarber coming off a bad year, you know, with the, with the Cubs. I don't yeah. think they expected this kind of outbreak, but, uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's not hard to connect Kyle Schwarber's home run stretch with the turnaround by the Nationals of late, because their offense was struggling for weeks until he went on this tear. It's still not, you know, it's still not murderer's row, but given the pitching that they've gotten, Kyle Schwarber's bat has given them enough of a lift to, to carry them through this, and now they're, what, a 500 record with, with maybe two or three games out of first place? Three games out, yep. All alone Damn. in second. They've won... 12 of their last 15, 14 of their last 19. Now, they've got a brutal stretch, and we've been talking about this coming up. You know, the Rays, Dodgers, the two World Series teams, the Padres, and the Giants. Then after the All-Star game, uh, break, the, the Padres again. This is like a huge 16-17 game stretch. And the Mets, by the way, lost yesterday to the Nats. The Nats won that game 8-4. Another wild game, by the way. Not just the Schwarber homers, um, but the fact that Espino pitched so well. um, And then the bullpen nearly blew it. And then Ryan Zimmerman comes up with a massive three-run shot um, to put the game away as a pinch hitter. Um, But the the Mets uh, lost for the ninth time in the last 14 games. So you know, you look at it, and it's so early, and I know that, you know, um, this is a long stretch. We're not even halfway through the season yet. You know, the Nats just played, you know, game number 76, so you're five games away from the halfway mark. But if you look at the National League, the real and maybe the only path to the postseason is winning the division because the the NL West has the Giants, Dodgers and Padres and the Padres are in third place 14 games above 500 and the Nats yeah. are in second place 
at 500. So more likely than not, I didn't even include some of the teams in the other division that have winning records like the Cubs and the Reds who will be in contention. You know, certainly the Cubs will um, for um, these NL wildcard spots. So you're, they're going to win the division, but this stretch coming up is going to be crucial that they, you know, stay around the 500 mark against the best teams in baseball. Which is going to be hard to do uh, with Steven Strasburg still sidelined, showing no real signs of coming back anytime soon. I mean, they really have gotten some uh, opportune starts from Espino, uh, uh, Fetty, uh, Joe Ross. Uh, I don't know if they've showed enough to be consistent, but they're really patching uh, a lot of their starts together. Uh, trying to tread water uh, with Strasburg out. Yeah, it's difficult for imagine. I mean, you know, maybe they do it. You know, it'd be nice if they did, but uh, that's just hard hard to imagine. Fetty was on. Uh, Fetty's on the injured list. They've gotten really good starts from Corbin recently. Uh, Lester a little bit inconsistent, but yeah, I mean. You know, it's one of those things where uh, three weeks ago people were talking about Max Scherzer being potentially trade bait at the deadline. We still have a month to go. Who knows? They could they could go on a on a five and you know and eleven run here and be eight games out, and they might be sellers. I mean, we we don't know what'll happen over the next you know month, um, but more likely than not, they might be buyers for a starting pitcher or a bat, Tommy. You know, they, they could use another bat in the lineup. Um, you know, certainly, you know, at, at third um, for Castro, you're, you're not, you're not going to – you don't need a, a corner outfielder bat. Victor Robles is interesting. You know, he's struggling clearly. He's had major base running errors in a lot of games this year. Um, they need him to, you know – He's been a major disappointment to them. I can't tell you how many teams wanted Victor Robles in trade deals and the Nationals refused to trade him. And I, I, I agreed with them at the time. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but he's been a major disappointment. And let's remember, this, this offensive surge is happening without Juan Soto showing much, much of the power that we've come to expect from him. He, he's, he still could have issues with his shoulder. Uh, you know, so they've been able to sustain that as well. Yeah, he's been better here over the last four or five yeah. games, six games. I mean, he had that stretch of like two RBIs in like 12 games or whatever. Um, and I think he's got three or four in the last five games. Uh, but, um, yeah, and, you know, I, I had uh, Charlie Slows on radio this morning, and I was just curious as to what the organization thinks of Carter Keboom and whether or not he's performing in the minor leagues. I've not kept up with that. and. You know, they've had opportunities to call him up and haven't done it. So obviously, he's not, you know, it would appear a short term answer. Remember, we've gone into the last two, you know, uh, off seasons thinking Carter Keeboom was going to be the starting third baseman. Yes. So you're right. But uh, I mean, if, if they're looking for a bat, third base would probably be the logical. Uh, place they'd be looking for at this point. Five home runs last night. Um, four of them solo shots. Two of them uh, solo shots from uh, Kyle Schwarber, who is just tearing it up. Um, 
the number of, you know, you get this now so much more than you used to with all of these statistical research arms out there. His 11 homers in his last nine games is tied for the most in any nine-game span since 1901, um, which is incredible. Um, Frank Howard, by the way, did it in 1968 for the Senators. Um, and it's the most, the 15 and seven, uh, 17 games is the most ever for a leadoff hitter. I don't know. I, I would guess that they certainly didn't expect these results. You could have never expected these results. But I wonder what the you know expectations were just moving him into that leadoff spot. Um, but they're not taking him out of it anytime soon, even if, Tommy, there's nobody on base when he comes up and hits these home runs. You can't move him out of this spot. I am curious why teams aren't going, aren't pitching around him now. And I understand it's Trey Turner and it's Juan Soto who are on deck, which is good news. But still, this dude's hitting so many home runs, you've got to pitch around him, and if you walk him, you walk him. He may start getting the Barry Bonds treatment. He could, as hot yeah. as he is. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about three other things. Uh, the first thing I, I want to mention before I get to the thing that I want to spend just a little bit of time on this morning, um, I do want to mention that the NBA game last night, um, that the Clippers stayed alive. Uh, uh, Paul George was phenomenal. He had 41 points. This is what a superstar player in the league has to do with his team on the brink of elimination. He's got to have the kind of game that Paul George had last night. Paul George not only had 41 points, but he had 13 rebounds, 6 assists, and 3 steals in the game. He was 15 of 20 from the floor. Okay, I can do that math. 75%. From the floor. He was unconscious in the third quarter where he had 20 points. He had 30 of his 41 in the second half. Uh, many times, along with Reggie Jackson, basically, you know, turning away the Suns as they consistently tried to make runs. Um, they did it with one of the smallest lineups you will ever see an NBA team start. With Zubots out, they started Jackson, Beverly, Morris, George, and Terrence Mann. Um, the biggest starter in that group was, you know, uh, Marcus Morris at six eight. Rarely will you see a team that small um, in the NBA. Um, I guess Paul George, technically at six eight, six maybe six eight and a half, was the tallest starter out there. Demarcus Cousins came in and was unbelievable in the game. Um, the officiating is terrible in this series. I just want to mention that it's just horrendous. Paul George got fouled on two different occasions, and they didn't call it. And then they called um, uh, they called uh, Patrick Beverly for a ridiculous, flagrant one on a foul on Chris Paul shooting. It was a terrible call. And by the way, Patrick Beverly is one of my favorite players I to watch. I saw that. I, I saw his. I saw the video of him reenacting Chris yeah. Paul's uh, it, it was move. a terrible call. I mean, he was yeah. c- coming around a screen. There was nothing flagrant or intentional about that. Now, he mocked Chris Paul. Beverly, yes. like Russell Westbrook and a few others, like he's in that category of just hyper-competitor energy, tries harder than anybody else, and just is nasty defensively. Um, and he's really created some issues at times for Devin Booker and for Chris Paul. 
Anyway, I think the Clippers can win the last two games. I think they can come back from 3-1 down. Every single game in this series, they've had a legitimate chance to win. The three that they lost, one of them they had one if Paul George makes two free throws or had one in game two. And the game the other night that was low scoring, they certainly had a chance to win. They had 12 opportunities to take the lead in the fourth quarter. Um, It's a really entertaining series, and they're doing it without Kawhi Leonard. I stand corrected because the Clippers may not win this series, and I think they would have with Kawhi Leonard, but they still might without Kawhi Leonard. And I didn't think they could beat Utah without Leonard. And the only way they could do it is having several players step up. Paul George is one of them. But Reggie Jackson is making himself a shitload of fans in these in these playoff games. I've always been a fan of Reggie Jackson. I advocated when he was available a few years ago for the Wizards to go get him. Um, and he is making anybody that's been a Reggie Jackson fan look really, really good. He is a killer as a scorer. Um, and as a shooter. And last night, he was outstanding with 23 points, um, including some hellacious uh, knockdown threes and dunks at the rim. Uh, I loved watching him play. Um, tonight, by the way, Trey Young is out. Uh, not out yet. He's questionable. Um, I can only tell you that right now, um, Milwaukee uh, in Atlanta here um, uh, in this game tonight is a seven-point favorite tonight. Uh, at Atlanta. So the expectation is Trey Young's either not going to play or that he's going to be compromised. If that's true, this series is over. Um, There's no chance. Uh, You know, the Clippers have proven that they have a chance without Kawhi Leonard. The Hawks would have no chance without Trey Young. Um, I also, on the basketball front, Tommy, just wanted to say that Daryl Morsell, you probably saw this, transferred to Marquette. Which generated, you know, a big response from the Maryland basketball fan base. And a lot of people don't understand it. I explained it two months ago when Daryl um, potentially, by putting his name into the NBA hat, also suggested that he could go transfer portal if that doesn't work out. And he wrote a wonderful note publicly on social media to Mark Turgeon into Maryland. And Turgeon did the same to him yesterday. This is not... For those of you that think somehow this is a reflection of Turgeon fucking something up, it's not. Daryl Morcell wants a new experience. He got this fifth year because of the COVID. Last year doesn't count. Um, he also, I understand, feels a little bit like the younger players that have been waiting their opportunity should have that opportunity next year. It's also a team that's taken in a bunch of transfers, which potentially could have limited, yes, even the defensive player of the year, could have limited some of his opportunities this year. Because Daryl, you know, offensively, that was never his strength. And the team at times struggled offensively, not just because of him, um, but he wanted a new experience. And he's going to take this fifth year and he's going to play for Shaka Smart in in Milwaukee for Marquette, and good for him. Uh, And no Maryland fan is doing anything other than wishing him the best. He is really going to go down, Tommy, not as one of the greatest Maryland basketball players of all time. I mean, we know the list is pretty deep on that front. But he's memorable. He is a memorable player in the annals of Maryland basketball. Four years, pretty much a starter for most of, of those four years, a defensive player of the year in the Big Ten, um, a, a competitor, a tough, tough, hard-nosed, heart-and-soul kind of uh, teammate and leader. 
Um, and uh, uh, he'll be he'll be remembered. But this was not for those of you wanting to make something out of it. This was not a situation in which the team was blindsided or it was a result of Turgeon or a result of a relationship with the school or the coach or the coaching staff or other players. No, this was just a grown man making the decision that with this fifth extra year, he wanted a different experience. Good for him. Good for him. You don't have any thoughts on this? No, I don't. Okay. I don't have any thoughts on it. Maryland's ACC opponent in the Big Ten ACC was de- determined yesterday it's going to be Virginia Tech at Xfinity Center. And um, so it's not Duke, although Jeff Ehrman wrote that there's still some dis- rumors out there that Maryland and Duke are talking about some sort of game in Coach K's last year. I'll believe that when I see it. I, I don't, I've not yeah. heard anything on that front, and I would not believe it. All right. Uh, one more break. Uh, I got. One more break. One more break, and then I want you to finish up with what you have, and I want to tell you what I watched four hours of yesterday um, and why I watched it. Uh, That's next after this word from one of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I just told Tommy that um, I've been eating fruit this morning after the radio show. I just I went down and got a bowl of fresh cut up fruit from Safeway, and my mouth is swelling up. So there must be something in the fruit that I'm allergic to. It's not a bad situation. I'm not going into anaphylactic shock or whatever it's called. I don't need a shot here of adrenaline. Um, but my mouth is sort of swelling up on my lips. So Tommy said, gave me some great advice. What was your advice? Don't eat the fruit. <laughs> Stop eating the fruit. You know? To which I said... That's always been my go-to move. Don't eat the fruit. To which I said, oh my God, but the, it's been so good. It's so good. <laughs> Raspberries, blueberries, strawberries, cantaloupe, melon, grapes, red and green. Watermelon. Wow. It's just, it's a pretty bowl of fruit. But I can't Sounds eat it. exciting. I, I, I got to stop eating it right now. Yeah, you do. You do because your mouth is your livelihood, buddy. It is. I guess it is. <laughs> um, so what do you have before I finish up with soccer talk? Okay. Well, two things. I want to remind everybody about the D.C. Gray's Benefit Concert. Sunday, July 11th, from 2 to 5 p.m. at Caddy's on Cordell. 
featuring the great band King Soul. Uh, donation tickets are $25 a piece. You can buy them at dcgrays.com. I'll be there, and I guarantee you a good time will be had by all. And the other thing I wanted to tell you, you know, I was in Bethany for uh, about four or five days. Oh, uh, okay. And, and uh, I was walking on the beach one day, mm-hmm. and uh, all of a sudden I hear this voice behind me yell, Tommy. And I turn around, and it's a guy who's a big fan of the show and was actually listening to you on the podcast as he was sitting on the beach. Oh, that's great. And I walked by. His name is Kerry Hall. I wanted to give a shout-out to him. Very nice guy. We had a nice conversation. Uh, and he's just, you know, just another fan, random fan I found on the beach at Bethany. <laughs> um, where were you in Bethany? You, how many days were you down in Bethany? Uh, five days. And so where were you staying? Uh, at my son's house. My son's condo. Where's, this, where's your son's condo? Uh, what's the Sea uh, Colony? Oh, really? Yeah. What uh, Sea Colony house? Was sea it... Colony West. Oh, so it's Sea Colony West, so it's on the other side of the highway, um, on Bayside. Right. Um, yeah. I will... What t- a setup Sea Colony is. What a setup. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so that's where every single summer of my youth was spent, because my, par- really? my parents had a condo there. Well, um, I mean, they have a great setup. They've got pools all over the property. Yeah, they do. They got tennis courts, they got pickleball courts, they've got they've got buses and uh and uh carts that take you around. You don't you, you, you buses that take you right to the beach. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, you can jump on the shuttle uh from Sea Colony West yeah. and go right across the street. So, um uh, uh, netting it out. My wife grew up on the Jersey Shore. Her parents had a house up in Spring Lake, New Jersey, which is a, a beach place, not a lake place. Although there is a lake in Spring Lake. <clears throat> and it's beautiful. And Belmar, Spring Lake, Avon by the sea, that area of Jersey is where my wife pretty much and her family spent beach time. And I think we've had this conversation before, so I'll net it out. Everybody loves the beach experience that you grew up with for the most part. She couldn't stand like the Bethany Rehoboth, especially the high rises of Sea Colony. She just didn't really like that. It was see, I love Bethany and Sea Colony. When you have kids that are young, is the easiest. It's the easiest because you're right there. Yeah. Somebody has to go to the bathroom. You just go right back upstairs. You know, so it's very easy. Yes. So I I always loved it when the kids were young because it was so easy, so convenient. But I love Bethany, but I also love the Jersey Shore, which, where where she always spent time. And you've spent much of your summers on the Jersey Shore, not in Bethany. Right, at Wildwood, Wildwood Crest. Right. Uh, in fact, we'll be going there at the end of July for a week yeah. for our annual family vacation. But I had a great time down at Bethany. All right. And actually, we're going to be there for about three or four days before we head to Wildwood. Oh, good. So, um, and then take, take the ferry over. Uh, Bethany's great. And I love Bethany, downtown Bethany on a summer night. It is, you know, um, quintessential Americana beach town to me. Um, and it's not overly crazy and built up like Ocean City and Rehoboth are. Anyway, um, I want to finish with this 
Because how many times during World Cups or Euro events have we had conversations, the two of us together, and we've mocked those that have been really into it? You have said about... I believe, I believe the term I've used is a Seinfeld term called hipster doofus. Yeah, but you've also you've also said soccer is the sport for non-sports fans. I think that's your right for line. people who don't like sports. Right, yes. but right. Soccer is for people who don't like sports. So, <clears throat> I have over the years become more and more interested. Um, I've talked more and more about it on the shows because I've watched it more and more. Why have I watched it? The primary reasons have been just intrigue. Like, why does the rest of the world, why is the the rest of the world other than this nation on pins and needles over this World Cup game and we couldn't give a shit? Now, the popularity of soccer obviously has risen in this country, um, but the MLS is like, you know, the 15th best professional league on the planet. You know, it doesn't even compare. But anyway, um, let me cut to the chase. If soccer ever cared, and they don't, about bringing Americans in mass to the sport as fans, viewers, etc. Yesterday would have been the day that they would have said, carve out four hours, sit down, and watch Spain, Croatia, and then France, Switzerland. Tommy, I swear to you, I am more open-minded about this and I've become more interested in it, but I still don't love the games... I like the other stuff more. I still hate the flopping. I still hate the the inaction for a lot of these games, the nil-nils and the one-nothings and the whole thing. But yesterday, if someone who is dead set against thinking that they would ever enjoy soccer sat down and watched these two games, they would be lying if they said they weren't entertained. These were two, I will admit, out-of-the-box, unique aberration games. Croatia and Spain played a 5-3 extra time game. 5-3 is the equivalent of 63-56 to in the NFL. Like, it never happens. You know, in, 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 a, in a college game, it would be like Texas Tech playing SMU, you know, 69-63. That's what 5-3 is. In a soccer game. But more importantly, Croatia scored in that stoppage time, you know, after the 90th minute to tie the game after they were down three to one. Three to one is like, in my view, being up 28 to seven, three to one with 15 minutes to go. I'm sorry, with five minutes to go. They were down three to one with five minutes to go in this game. Being down 3-1 to one with five minutes to go is like being down 28-7 with three minutes to go in, in an NFL game. Like, it's impossible. So they scored twice, forced the extra time. Spain scored twice, and they won the game 5-3. Beyond that, it was constant scoring opportunities. They scored eight goals, not on eight opportunities, but on like 30 opportunities. <clears throat> there was constant action in this game. I am losing Tommy, I can tell. Then we go to France, Switzerland. France is up 3-1 to one with 15 minutes to go in the game. By the way, I say 15 minutes, Tommy. You're never really sure in soccer because the clock doesn't count down. It counts up. 
And remember, it's so imprecise. Like the 90th minute, you are going to get what they call stoppage time. Like it's an arbitrary, uh, we think we delayed the game after goals and after injuries, like roughly four minutes. We're going to add four minutes, but it may not be four minutes. It might be 345 or it might be four minutes and 30 seconds. So you're never really sure how much time is actually left in the game. But at the 75th minute, Switzerland was down um, three to one after France scored, and they scored in the eighty-one, in the eighty-first minute, and in the ninetieth minute again. The final minute of the game, two goals in the final fifteen minutes to tie it at three-three, and eventually Switzerland won on penalty kicks. I thought it was high sports drama. It was thrilling. It, 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 I mean, I'm sitting there, and with every goal that hit the post, it was like you know a deep bomb that you know was caught inside the 20-yard line on a big drive, or a, a big buck, a big three to 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 give them you know to give an NBA team the lead in in the fourth. It was great sports theater. I am also betting these games. There you go. There you go. You buried the lead. Uh, it was great. You buried the lead. It was awesome. And today, I can't wait. England, Germany. We could be talking about a cockroach race no. if you had bet it. England, Germany at noon. This will be, along with Portugal, Belgium from the other day, um, one of the most watched sporting events of the year. I think Portugal and Belgium may have been the most watched global sporting event of the year. And Well, I'll have to watch it because my life feels so empty with what I missed. I think you should just be a little bit more open-minded to something like this. You know, I think you should stop wasting your time and start, and start watching Bosch. I know. There's a lot of Watch here. something that you can enjoy. You can't bet on Bosch, I know. You can't bet on the outcome of, of, of programming. <laughs> I And that's do, a problem for you. Do you do you know, by the way, um the fourteen goals scored yesterday were the most ever in a double header of a knockout stage World Cup or um Euro um championship. Of course it was. Fourteen goals in back to back games, unheard of in soccer. I mean, unheard of. And um, do you know what the totals are in these games, Tommy? Like the over. Why do you keep asking me? Do you know? I don't know anything. Okay. Do you want to know what the over unders are in most of these soccer games? Oh yes, please, please, Pele head, tell me. Like two, two and a half. And so, um, I mean, that's th- those are the expected goals, two, two and a half. Like today's England-Germany game, the over-under is two and a half. Um, yesterday you had eight goals in one game, six in the other. Those would be called easy overs. Um, I loved it. I enjoyed it. I'm getting more into it. Uh, I can't I, – I'm just being honest, I think. I, and I'm looking forward to the World Cup. But you know what's interesting, Tommy? I don't really care if the U.S. qualifies or not. Well, that sort of like takes the pressure off the the failure of uh, of uh, rooting for a team that that that's only going to disappoint you. I, I guess. 
All right. Do you have anything else to promote? I got nothing else. <laughs> okay. I got nothing else. All right. Um, you know, if, are... if anyone's left, I got nothing else for you. Tommy and I, for the first time since March of 2020, when the pandemic of 2020 began, are going to be in studio together here on Thursday, and then we are planning on getting lunch together after the show. I'm sure he's... He and maybe need, we'll go watch some soccer. I'm sure there's a reason for this lunch and this visit that I will find out when we get together <laughs> on Thursday. But I'm looking forward to it. And now I'm wondering um, if I have to do anything with the microphone and headphones here to get, you, get it ready. I have not had anybody do any programming with me in this studio since that, you know, since March of... 2020. Well, get ready, baby. I'm coming. All right. All right. We're done. Uh, Have a great day. Back tomorrow. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.